Thank you, Ben. I'm trying to think of another word for Ben. He called me Bruce. And I, try, I can't think of anything else to retaliate with. And, well, good morning, everybody. Um, great to be back at Hope Point again. I love coming to this church. And, although I'm cold, uh, my, I left my jacket in the car uh, out there. But really great to be here today. And I've really got a message from God for you this morning. And I can't wait to preach that. But just firstly, just want to say uh, thank you again to this church for your faithful support. We've been serving in World Outreach now for 12 years, and you have been, I think, a supporter of ours that whole time. So I want to say thank you to, to Jared and, and the team for, for their support and for Ben and Rachel also. And I want you to know, too, when uh, Be- Jared is wearing the same clothes as me today, he did not ring me this morning to find out what I was wearing. Just want to make that point very clear. Blue shirt, black, etc. He did not ring me this morning also. But I wanted to say a really heartfelt thank you for your support. And what's been amazing is over the last couple of years, as you would know, there's been COVID throughout the world. And um, that doesn't stop God. Uh, The mission of God continues no matter what is taking place in the world. And last year, we had the highest number of people ever in a single year apply for missionary service. We had 22 new missionaries join us last year in the middle of a pandemic. Last year... We engaged the greatest number of unreached people groups we ever had in a single year. And so the point I want to make is, no matter what is happening in the world, that doesn't stop God. Uh, God is never quarantined. Uh, God is never isolated. God, the work of the gospel continues on and on. So we're having a great time. The mission world is having an incredible time. At the moment, we're seeing unprecedented breakthroughs, unprecedented openness among people groups that up to this point have never responded to the group, to, to the gospel before. I actually believe that we are living at one of the most pivotal moments in modern day mission. And what a day to be alive. And I know there's some negative people who go, well, this is happening and that's happening and this conspiracy theory and that. I want you to know, friends, God is working in the nations in an unprecedented way. I'm in a different church every Sunday, so you, you, you get a feel for what's happening uh, throughout Australia and throughout the world. And there's three things that are happening all over the world, every church I go to. Number one, young people are hungry to pray. I've never known a greater time when more young people are praying than ever before. There's a hunger. Young people want to experience God, and they're getting hungry. And the last time I saw this level of hunger, a movement was born called Youth Alive, and it exploded across the country. It's now 40 years old. Uh, But the last time I sensed this type of hunger among young people. The second thing that's happening is a lot of churches are making more room, more time for the Holy Spirit. Uh, They've got their building right, they've got their lights right, they've got their sound right, they've got their marketing right, and all of that. But they realize that's no substitute for the presence of God. And churches everywhere are getting hungry uh, for God, hungry for his touch, hungry for his presence. And I really loved your, your worship this morning, how that Rachel lingered in the presence of God. That's, that's wonderful. And the third thing that's happening I see all across the world in churches is there is an expectation of an imminent, mighty outpouring of God. There is a real sense that unless you move, Lord, our nation is not going to change. Unless you move, Lord, our church is going to stay the same. Unless you move, Lord, our lives will stay the same. There is this sense that God is about to do something in the nations of the world. So as you can tell, I'm pretty pumped up. Uh, I really feel like God is about to to do something. And I have a real message from God. And So I want to say thank you. And um, after this morning, I'm actually on holidays 
which is great. And Fiona flies up tonight and we head up to Noosa for a couple of days. So why don't we just close in prayer and uh, go and have lunch lunch right now. (laughs) Well, I think lightning might strike if I finish right now. And uh, I meant to say before, you are in great hands with, with Ben and Rachel. You're in a great place as a church. Good leaders who have wisdom beyond their years, people who have a very clear sense of vision, open to the spirit. Wow, you are set up for a generation uh, in this church. So I just want to affirm them also. All right, I, I want to turn your attention to a passage of scripture. It'll be up here in a moment, which is Genesis chapter 28. And I'm going to work through the passage that's found there from verse number 10 through to verse number 22. So my text today is Genesis chapter 28, having a look from verse 10 through to verse number 22. Now, I just need to give some acknowledgement. The original thought for this idea came from a guy called John Phillips, a great Bible teacher from the United Kingdom. I heard him do a devotion one day, and it really went into my heart. And so I've brucified what he said and, and made it mine. So if anything sounds really smart, that's probably John Phillips. If anything is fairly ordinary, or as Ben said before, simple, the simple things I say, well, that's probably come, comes from me. So my message today is part sermon, it is part prophecy, and part prayer. And the question I'll be asking a little bit later is, what is the house of God? For since COVID, across Australia and across the world, People's attendance patterns have radically changed. A lot of people have not come back to church. And a lot of people are going to different churches. And a lot of people are watching church online. And it begs the question, well, what is the house of God? Because we realize that God has always wanted to live with his people. He longs to be with his people. And he longs that his people would long to be with him. And in the Old Testament, we read of God meeting with his people firstly in a garden and then in a tabernacle and then in a temple. But when Jesus came, he altered everything so that through the work of the cross, we can now meet with God and God can meet with us anywhere, anytime by the Holy Spirit. But we read in the Bible that God would meet with his people in his house. But what is the house of God, or what did God intend that his house would be? And we find the answer to that question in this text in Genesis chapter 28. Why? Because this is the first reference in the Bible to the phrase, house of God. And when something is first mentioned in Scripture, it is often significant of what God intended. Not what transpired later or what happens as cultures alter it, but when something is first mentioned in Scripture, it teaches us what God intended. Now, before we begin to unpack the text, let me just give you the background or give you the context so we can understand how and when these words were spoken. Jacob had capitalized upon his older brother Esau's weakness and deceived him out of his birthright. And then in conspiracy with his mother, Jacob then deceived his father Isaac into receiving Esau's blessing as the firstborn. And as you can imagine, Esau wasn't very happy at all and fueled by bitterness, he was determined to kill Jacob. So following his mother's advice and with his father's blessing, Jacob set out from Beersheba on his way to go and visit Uncle Laban in Haran. And Jacob reached a certain place to rest that he would later call Bethel. 
not realizing that he was about to have a dream in which God would encounter him. And it was during this dream that God gave a revelation of what it is to be the house of God. So allow me to read it to you, Genesis chapter 28, reading from verse number 10. It says, and it'll be up here. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. The first reference to the phrase house of God in scripture. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me I will give you a tent so this is the first reference to the phrase house of God in scripture and it's a stone so the title of my message today is this what is the house of God well what is the house of God number one the house of God is any place where we meet with God the house of God is any place where we meet with God. So Jacob is in a desert using a rock as a pillow, and yet he said, this is none other than the house of God. So the first mention to this phrase, and it's a stone. So importantly, what we learn here is that it's not the, just the geographical place that is the house of God, but what happens in that place. And Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway ascending all the way from earth to heaven. And in this dream, he had a vision of God. And it says in verse number 13 there, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. So it wasn't necessarily the geographical place, but what happened in that place that he had an encounter with God. So I would suggest today that any place where we meet with God and God meets with us is the house of God. And any time and every time God's people gather to meet with him, they form the house of God. The gathering of God's people is the house of God. And it doesn't matter where we meet. It doesn't matter how few. It doesn't matter how many. When we do so, it is the house of God. And I think what we need to do is align our thinking with Scripture. It's not that we go to church. It's that the church 
comes together. If I say today, hello church, did you have a great sleep last night? I am not talking to the four walls at all. Although if they talk back to you, come and have a talk to me at the end of the service and we will pray. We thank God for, for this building. We thank God for the renovation. But these four walls are not the church. It is the people of God who have come together to meet with God and God to meet with him. That is the house of God. And it may be in, in a building like this, and, and even though we have great sound systems and great music and technology, maybe remember today that this building and all the things in it do not constitute the house of God, but it's the place where God's people come together to meet with Him and encounter Him. That is the place of God. It can sometimes be your life group. It can sometimes be in a cathedral. It can sometimes be under a tree. It can sometimes be alone in your car. The gathering of the people of God is the house of God. And it's when we come together to meet with him and he meets with us. That is the house of God. One of the most profound experiences I ever had with God was in a car. A friend and I had just been preaching at a children's camp. It was a long time ago. At a children's camp and we were driving back to, back to Melbourne. And back in those days we had cassettes and we were listening to a worship cassette in the car and we started to sing along and we started to worship. And as we started to worship and engage with God, the glory of the Lord just filled that car. We experienced the presence of God in an amazing way and we were just lost to the reality of where we were. I'm just so grateful my friend didn't close his eyes while he was driving. We just had this profound encounter with God. I would suggest to you on that day, because we met with God in that car, it was the house of God. We just had a profound experience. Remembering also that in the New Testament sense, you are the house of God. When you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus came and made his home inside of you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are the house of God. And Paul also taught that we corporately constitute the living temple of God. God no longer lives in buildings made with great big stones. God lives inside of us and God dwells within his church. And as I mentioned before, because of the cross and resurrection and because of the Spirit's indwelling presence, we can meet with God anywhere at any time. So what is this great building that God has given you? It is not a monument. It is an instrument. It is a boat from which we fish, not in which, in which we fish. This house or this gathering, this building is a place to meet with God, to meet with one another, to be encouraged, to be refreshed, to be re equipped and to receive empowerment that we may be a witness for the Lord. Remembering also that the early church did not have permanent buildings for 400 years until the time of Constantine. And yet these people turned the world upside down. On the morning of the day of Pentecost, there were 120 believers. By the end of that day, there were 3,120 believers. And then the scripture says that the Lord added daily to their number. In fact, within a short time, the number of people had grown to 5,000. And then it says in Acts 6 verse 6, that their numbers increased rapidly. And this was before they ever had had a building to meet in. And all I can say, friends, today is with all that God has given us, how much more should we be expecting God to do? 
So the house of God is any place where we meet with God. So if the house of God is not a building, what is the house of God? And this is when we change gears. Number two, the house of God is a place of revelation. Number two, the house of God is a place of revelation. But a revelation of what? What did Jacob receive a revelation of? Well, he received a revelation of the presence of God. He received a revelation of the presence of God. And the house of God is where the Lord reveals his presence. Verse 16 reads, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob had a revelation of the presence of God. And this is my prayer for Hope Point this morning. Lord, let everyone who ever attends the gatherings of this church, whether large or small, formal or informal, may they say, having been with these people, God is in this place. May the small groups, the kids' ministry, and the Sunday services be saturated in the presence of the living God. And may the reaction of every unconverted person that engages with this church in any shape or form, may their response be, God is in this place. And even though they've got a great building and great ministries and great programs and great systems and great songs, may whatever other impression they have, may the dominant reality be, oh, God is in this place. And this only comes through worship and praise. Worship and praise that touches God and brings a sense of his presence. Worship and praise that brings a sense of the glory of God. For when the presence of God fills the gathering of his people, when they gather together and his presence comes, there is revelation. There is encounter. There is intimacy with God. And may worship and praise characterize this house of God. But more than just being a place of the revelation of the presence of God, the house of God is also a place of the revelation of the person of Jesus. A place of the revelation of the person of Jesus. In Jacob's dream, he, had, uh, he saw a vision of a stairway that went all the way from earth to heaven. And in his dream, he saw the angels of God ascending and descending on it. The stairway reached from where Jacob was all the way to heaven. And we have to wait hundreds of years until we find the meaning of the stairway. And to do so, I need to, tra need to transport you to the Gospels. And in John 1, verse number 47, it reads, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom is nothing false. So note here, Jesus knew everything about him. How do you know me? Verse number 48, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Jesus knew everything about him. And Jesus knew where he was. But here's the most powerful part. Jesus even knew what he'd been thinking about. Verse number 49. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. But listen carefully to how Jesus replied. Verse number 50. 
You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. And you shall see greater things than these. For I tell you, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So under the fig tree, Nathaniel had been meditating on the passage of Jacob's dream. And the point that Jesus was making to Nathaniel was this. Nathaniel, I am the stairway. I am the stairway of Jacob's dream. And Jesus was later to say in John 14, verse, verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is my prayer today. Whenever people come into this house, and maybe they, they come into your meetings, and maybe they're full of problems, and full of questions, and full of emptiness, and full of turmoil, and full of guilt and grief and shame or pain, may they encounter the revelation of God through our worship and praise and may that lead them to the foot of the stairway who is Jesus. For there is only one way that people can come to God. There is only one way that we can appropriate the sacrifice made for our sin. There is only one mediator or advocate between God and humankind. There is only one way to God and His name is Jesus. Jesus, and He is the foot of the stairway, and through Him we are supernaturally transformed and changed, and our life is radically altered. So my prayer is, may every person who walks into the gathering of God's people in Hope Point, may they encounter Jesus, the foot of the stairway. And may every person who calls this their home church be filled with a supernatural fire and zeal by the Spirit of God to tell other people about Jesus. May everyone in this local church be filled with such a burden for lost people and such a passion to reach them and a commitment to disciple them in Jesus' name. May the private and the corporate gatherings of this church reveal Jesus. May Jesus be preached. May Jesus be encountered. May Jesus be glorified. May Jesus be manifest. May Jesus transform people's lives. May Jesus heal sick bodies. May Jesus deliver people from demonic oppression. May Jesus be seen in our love and felt by our touch and heard in our voices. Let this house of God be filled with Jesus. So it was a place of revelation, the revelation of the presence of God, a revelation of the person of Jesus, but also it was a place of the revelation of the ministry of angels. Now remember in Jacob's dream, he saw angels ascending and descending. Jesus is not only the way to God, but it is through Jesus that we receive from God. For the angels were ascending and descending. And I want you to know, friends, I believe in angels. And angels are here this morning and they are ministering to people. And I get really tired of people going, well, I see demons here and I see demons there and I saw demons dancing on the platform. And I want to say any doctrine that puts fear into your heart is not from God. I want to say this place is not full of demons today. It is full of the angels of God. It is full of the presence of God. And who or what are the angels? Well, according to Hebrews 1.14, angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. 
And if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you are an heir of salvation. And we have angels that guard us. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I remember when I was a very long-haired, dark-haired youth pastor with, with a mullet, something I'm not proud about at all. When I was a youth pastor, we started to get a whole bunch of kids saved out of the occult. So as a result of that, we had sometimes had to get people and deliver them from demons that were at work in their heart. And I remember one, one, one in their life. And one day we had a young guy and we were praying over him to be delivered from what he was involved in. He was some, into some nasty stuff. And we were casting the spirit out. And I remember just walking away, just praying and asking God to help us. While I turned my back, this young guy with supernatural strength picked up a solid wooden chair, a really heavy chair. He picked it up with one hand and threw it right at me. Now, I, I didn't know about this. And I'm standing there. The chair flew through the air and all of a sudden stopped before it hit me and fell to, 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 to the side. And my other friends are going, whoa, they were just blown away. An angel was there that said, you are not going to touch this man. And just flicked that chair aside. And angels have been God's means to watch over and protect and minister to our lives. And the point I want to make is, not only do we find Jesus who is the foot of the stairway, but because of him, he sends the angels down to minister to and look after our lives. And here is my declaration over you, you today. Even though you may have had an horrific week, and even though you may feel so confused today, and you may feel so disorientated, when you come into the house of God, the gathering of his people, and you come into worship... And you come to the foot of the ladder, who is Jesus, he will send his angels down to minister to our lives. And sometimes it's through the preacher, and sometimes it's through the prophecy, and sometimes it's through the encouragement of a fellow believer. But the angels just minister to our soul, and then we feel built up and we feel different because God has ministered to us. I want to say here today, friends, what's the good of coming to church if we go home the same way that we have come? And if we go to a building, then nothing will happen. We will leave the same. If we do not enter into worship and praise, we will leave the same. If we do not come to and through Jesus, we will leave the same. Oh, but when you come into a building that's filled with people who want to meet with God and the presence of God comes, you will never be the same again. And all I can say today, friends, today is what a place. And I go, this is the house of God. Now, importantly, we do not worship angels, we do not glorify angels, we do not seek angels, we do not focus upon angels, we focus on Jesus who sends the angels. What he does invisibly and inaudibly in this place, we do not know and do not need to know. They are just messengers and ministering spirits. But what we do know is that the presence and the grace and the power comes from the Lord. So we focus upon him. It is to Jesus that we pray. It is to Jesus that we look. It is to Jesus that we are crying out to. And so the house of God is a place of the revelation of the ministry of angels. And even more than that, we also see that this was a place of revelation of God's purposes for our lives. 
a place of revelation of God's purposes for our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like Jacob much. Jacob is a self-consumed rascal. There was only one person in Jacob's life, and that was Jacob. And he didn't deserve a revelation at all. And this is one of the mysteries of God's purposes, that God doesn't choose us on the basis of what we are now, but on the basis of what we will become in him and by him and for him. And God gave a revelation to the last person on earth that you would imagine. And God gave him that revelation in the last place that you would imagine. Jacob had longed for spiritual realities, but he'd gone about seeking them in the wrong way. Nevertheless, please take note of this. Even though he's done everything wrong, in verse number 13, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. In other words, Jacob, despite all that you've done, I am your God. Jacob had deceptively sought the inheritance of the firstborn. And now God says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He's not even married, and yet God says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. He's done nothing but rip people off his whole life, and yet God says, all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. He's alone and vulnerable and uncertain of the future in every possible way. And yet the Lord then said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised. And may this reality strike our lives today. We, have met, we may feel like the last person on earth that Jesus could and would love. We may feel like we're in the wrong places at the wrong times like Jacob. But Jesus, in his mercy and in his grace, has touched our life. And we become aware, like Jacob, that our life is a life of destiny. That God has a plan and a purpose for our our lives in Christ Jesus. That we too, like Jacob, through Jesus, have an inheritance that is eternal. We too, through Jesus, are never alone. He is always with us. We too, through Jesus, have the promise of fruitfulness, of blessing of divine presence, of divine protection, of divine direction until the very end of the age. May we understand and embrace that this divine purpose has been given to us and we can fulfill that by the grace and the power that Jesus provides our lives. So the house of God is a place of revelation when we find who we are and what we are on the earth to do. Let Let's, let, let's continue. So, if the house of God is any place where we meet with God, and secondly, the house of God is a place of revelation. But number three, the house of God is a place of unity. The house of God is a place of unity. In verse number 22 of our text, it reads, And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. So Jacob referred to the house of God as one stone, one stone. What is the spiritual significance of this? One of the New Testament pictures of the church is the body of Christ. 
the church, is a part of Christ. As believers, we are in Christ and Christ is inside of us. And I love how Peter brought, brought this, this, this point out. In 1 Peter 2, verse number 4, Peter wrote and said, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what, what was Peter try, trying to say here? We, before we knew Jesus, were dead stones, but we were touched by the living stone who is Jesus, and we became part of him. The life of Christ came into this stone, and with us, he is building a living temple made of living stones. But importantly, we have not been made alive just to do our own independent thing, but we have been called to be part of this living house, this temple, this body, this house of God. And even though today we are all individual stones, we are called to be one. The New Testament church is to be one body. In fact, I would suggest you are not a member of this church. You are a limb of this church. It is not membership. It is limbship. And when you are attached, when you are connected, when you are committed, it's like marriage. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, and for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. We are going to be part of this church's life, part of its ministry, part of its future, as long as we breathe. That we are 1,000% committed to this house and its vision. I would say, friends, this is body, this is fellowship, this is New, New Testament church, this is the house of God. Therefore, we need to protect our unity and we need to foster our unity. Let me tell you a story. On, on the screen will be a picture of a doll. And a number of years ago, we had a British preacher come through our church and he stood up and he began to talk and he had a doll in one hand and he had a pair of scissors in the other. But he made no reference to the doll at all. He started to talk about how great it is to be in your church and great to be back in Australia, blah, blah, blah. And while he was speaking, he cut off a leg of the doll. Just cut it off. And you could see people just, what, what's he doing? And, and they're quite unsettled. And he kept talking but made no reference to the doll at all. And a little while later, he cut off the arm of the doll. And you could hear people just talking to one another and elbowing one another. What, what is this guy doing? And he made no reference to the doll at all. Then a little bit later, he cut off the head of the doll. And you could just see people getting really upset and agitated about what this guy was doing. And all of a sudden, he stopped. And he held up the doll. And he said, some of you are more concerned about this doll than you are with the body of Christ that is being ripped apart by division right now. He said, so I want to talk to you about unity. And I want to say, friends, he had everybody's attention from, from that moment. And right now in the body of Christ, there are many things that are dividing us. But what we should do is not focus on the things that divide us, but let's focus on the things that unite us.
For example, we are all purchased by the same blood of Jesus. We are, indwell, we are all indwelt by the same spirit of Jesus. We are alive because of the grace of Jesus. Therefore, let's not focus upon the things that divide us, but on the things that unite us in Jesus' name. And remember also that the New Testament church was not characterized by great meetings. It was characterized by the authenticity of relationships. True New Testament church is not just having a great meeting on a Sunday morning, but it's the community that we have together. And there is a strong responsibility in Scripture to be committed to one, one another. Think of all the one another's in the New, New Testament in, in particular. Therefore, we have a responsibility to preserve and protect our unity and oneness. I would caution you today in Jesus' name to guard against division and to guard against those people that bring uh, the division in the church. Watch out for and watch over each other. Serve and exercise the gifts that God has given you. Disciple the young and restore the strays. Go after the one uh, that's lead the 99 and go after the one that has drifted away and bring them back and seek to reconcile them in Jesus' name. Jesus looked down through the centuries to his church and he prayed for us in what we know as his great high priestly prayer, John chapter 17. And in verse number 21, listen to the prayer of Jesus. Oh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one and may they be brought to complete unity. And here is my declaration for hope, hope, hope point today. May the individual people who are called and joined by God to this house be committed to him and to his purpose and to his people. May there be an unshakable, uncompromising unity. And may we fearlessly and fervently foster and protect our unity. And may we, in the name of Jesus, be one even as he is one. And I believe today that as this church gets bigger, that it would also get smaller. That we would have such a love for each other, that the people in our society would not be able to find any love like it. May this church be known for its unity that is demonstrated in supporting each other and encouraging each other and giving and praying and enjoying and celebrating and crying and laughing and doing life together. God's intention is that his house will be a house of unity. Number four, almost there, and they get shorter and shorter, so please don't panic. Number four, what, 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 what is the house of God? Number four, the house of God is a place of anointing. The house of God is a place of anointing. Verse number eight, 18 of our text reads, Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And in Scripture, oil is a symbol for the work, the ministry, and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the first reference in the Bible to oil and consecration. The first mention in the Bible of oil being poured out signifying the sanctifying or the setting apart of something for a sacred purpose. And the symbolism for us here is profound. 
As far as the house of God is concerned, the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. We can never be what God has called us to be as a community or as a person or do what God has called us to do unless we have the mighty fullness of the Spirit of God. We can have the structures and the programs and the buildings right, but without the Spirit, they are just a structure, a program and a building. For example, think, think about the Old Testament tabernacle. It was perfect in every way. It was built according to the pattern that, that, that God had given. But it wasn't the house of God until oil was poured over every part of that tabernacle. Or think about the Lord Jesus himself, divinely conceived, a supernatural birth, had great learning, but he did not commence his ministry until that day when the heavens opened and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And from that day, he was empowered for ministry. Acts chapter 10, verse number 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and Power and he went about doing good and healing all those who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. I don't know about you, but we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. We need a refreshing touch of God. We need renewal today. We need a refilling. We need a fresh Pentecost in our lives. We need the sacred oil, the empowering and enabling of the Holy Spirit to be what God has called us to be and to do what God has called us to do. So all I can pray today is, oh God, that you would pour out your spirit upon Hope Point in a fresh and unprecedented, unparalleled, unstoppable way, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And may the empowering of the Holy Spirit energize each and every person in this place. May this house of God be filled with healing power and anointed preaching and anointed worship and empowered witnessing in Jesus' name. May every person who calls this their local church rise to their God-given redemptive potential to be what God has called them to be. Truly, let this house be a house of anointing in the name of Jesus. And the last one, number five, is this. A fifth characteristic I see of God's house in this passage is the house of God is to be a place of giving. In response to the revelation that God had given to Jacob, he made a vow. And part of that vow in verse number 22 is, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So the house of God, that stone on that day in that place before God was going to be a place of giving. Jacob recognized that God is the giver of all things and in recognition that he was a steward of things provided by God, Jacob vowed to give God a tenth as his father Abraham had done. And this was all before the law of Moses. In a New Testament sense, we are stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. The truth is we own nothing. If you want to know what you really own, have a think what you can take with you beyond the grave. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us, but God is the giver and owner of all things. And even though the New Testament doesn't teach tithing, though Jesus affirmed it, and we would regard it as a discipline, as a baseline, as a practice, the New Testament teaches proportional giving, generosity, and sacrifice. But it also teaches it must come from a willing, loving, and thankful heart. 
The New Testament teaches intentional, planned, regular and responsible giving. And I love the words of John Wesley. He he said this, paraphrased, Make as much as you can, save all you can, give away all, all, all you can. And I'd encourage you to pray and say, Lord, how do you want me to steward the resources that you have entrusted to me? And if we have truly been in God's house, if we have truly encountered his presence, if we are truly connected to, to this church, then not only would our life be touched, but our wallet would be touched. And a true litmus test of being touched touched by God, is that we have got a generous, loving heart. And may this house know supernatural provision, and may every person in this place be a responsible steward to be what God has called you to be. So in summary, we've been asking the question today, well, in light of all that COVID has done in churches all over the world and really revealed the truth of people's hearts, what is the house of God? And number one, We've seen that the house of God is any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. It doesn't matter where it is. It is the gathering of God's people to meet with him. That is the house of God. Number two, we saw that the house of God is a place of revelation, of revelation of the presence of God, a revelation of the Son of God, a revelation of the ministry of angels, and a place of revelation of God's purpose for our lives. We also saw that the house of God is a place of unity. And I'm calling you today, as I'm calling every church I preach at, to be one. There are so many things that are dividing people at the moment. It is time to lay those things aside. They're irrelevant compared to what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. That we are to be one living stone in his presence. Be a, be a place of unity. Number four, the house of God is a place of anointing. We need the Holy Spirit. And Rachel, I don't know if you're able, but could you come back and lead that song again? You are worthy of it all. And I would love us just to call out for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit upon our lives today. And number five, the house of God will be a place of generosity, a place of giving, that we acknowledge that God is the giver and owner of all things. And we just want to do whatever we can to be a blessing and generously give, give to others in Jesus' name. Would you mind standing with me, please? This is the house of God. This is the house of God. Praise God. Just, just before we begin to sing and worship and enter into his presence, let me ask you today. What's the one thing that was the word of the Lord to you? What is the Lord speaking to you about today that you have to do with this message that I've been bringing today? What's the one application to your heart, the one thing, the one phrase, the one principle that really went into your heart today? Would you just take a moment, please? And then I want us to do... Then I want us to do to enter into God's presence through our worship and praise and focus upon Jesus, the foot of the stairway, and just take time to honour him and give glory to him today. Hallelujah.